Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. My guest today is Anders Wigman, an opinion maker, writer and chairman on the governing board of Climate Kick the largest public-private partnership on innovation for low-carbon solutions in the European Union. One of Anders' key roles now is as a chair at the Circular Sweden, a platform for producers, retailers and recycling companies to advance the circular economy. On the global level, he is an UN-appointed expert to the International Resource Panel to help build and share the knowledge needed to improve the use of global resources. As a politician, Anders has served as a member of the European Parliament and the Swedish Parliament. Welcome, Anders. Thank you, Kai. It's a pleasure. Well, great to have you here today. And circular economy is one of the topics we are going to talk about today. And uh, today, a new report came out and was published, the annual circularity gap report, which provides an update on global resources, hit the record in 2021, despite the pandemic slowdown also. It has been no improvement in the rate of reuse and recycling, which has stagnated at around 8.6%. And Anders, recently you wrote a report to the Global Challenge Foundation named Move Towards Circularity. Can you tell us more about the report, Move Towards Circularity? And what is, it in, what is the most important conclusion in the report? Well, I think the most important conclusion is that materials matter. Uh, but when we referred to the debate on climate change, we have mostly focused on the energy system. And that has been natural because fossil fuels still make up 80% of the global energy mix. But if we don't recognize the fact that the use of materials is an important part of the climate uh, challenge, and is also a very important part of uh, the challenge to uh, avoid biodiversity loss and ecosystem, um, degradation, then, then we won't solve the problem. So um, we are using too much of uh, the natural resources and we are doing it in, it in a very linear fashion. So we take resources from the crust of the earth or from the forests or wherever, we turn them into products and services and then we use them for a little while and then we throw them away. Uh, and at the same time, we know that most of these materials have a value also when they have been used for a while and could be turned in, back into the economy again. So um, the circularity gap report that will be published today deals with this issue in, in broad terms. And in my report to the Global Challenges Foundation, I try to focus in particular on what are the barriers to really make this happen. Why is it linear and not circular? Circular, by the way, is not a perfect word because there is nothing 100% circular. You're losing quality and, and, and so on and so forth all the time. But uh, so I would rather have liked to call it the, the spiral economy. 
that that would be more appropriate. But but anyway, circularity is sort of a metaphor for using resources in a better way. And uh, it's so much linked to climate emissions, steel, cement, aluminum, plastic, textiles, clothing. <clears throat> if you add up these types of materials and the use of them, they generate 30, 35% of uh, carbon emissions. And if you look at, in particular, biodiversity, 90% of biodiversity loss, according to the International Resource Panel, is directly linked to how we use materials. And then they include fossil fuels, they include agriculture, forestry, metals, and minerals. And of course, all the synthetic materials. So it's a, it's a huge issue. But uh, you said also that you have uh, defined some barriers in the report. Well, one, of the, one of the main barriers is the cost structure of the economy. For instance, we use a lot of plastics. And a large degree of that plastic could, at least in theory, be turned back into the economy again and could be recycled a number of times. But it's not really happening because virgin plastic produced by oil and gas is so cheap that it's cheaper than try to reuse and recycle already used plastic. That's just one example. So virgin materials most often are less expensive than to reuse and recycle already used materials. And you know, if that is the case, most of the businesses will not really move in this direction. So we have to do something about the costs. And the most easy thing would be to lower tax on labor, on, on, on work, and to put a fee or a tax on the use of nature so that you stimulate conservation, so that you stimulate reuse and recycling and stimulate, which is also very important, to um, produce products that uh, you extend their life. Uh, what, 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 what is really happening today is that we build obsolescence into a much of products, meaning that the period they, they exist is very short. Economic instruments uh, is very important. Another barrier is design. Most products are not designed for reuse and recycling, which is another terribly important aspect. And when you talk to the design community, which I have done, they say nobody ever asked us to design things that could be used again. We were asked to do elegant, to offer elegance, functionality, etc., but not sustainability or recyclability. So design is another very important issue. Then I think a third issue is business models. Companies are used to selling a lot of stuff and they earn revenue by high material throughput. They have to change their business models. And that's, uh, that's for many of them uh, uh, not something they like. So incumbents are, are blocking some of the progress, I would say. legislative role and the also named business model but um, also you write in the report that uh, that the circular economy should be everybody's business mm -hmm. and can you with some short word define what the circular economy is well it's an economy where you aim at 
using materials on and on again. You know, metals, for instance, you can use the same metal on and on again. It won't lose quality. Paper, cardboard, plastic is a bit different. There you have maybe two or three or four possibilities to reuse it, but, but then you lose in quality. But for many, many products, I mean, take electronics. I mean, they threw away mobile phones uh, in, in the billions every year. And very little of the materials inside my mobile phone is being recycled. The focus has been on copper and gold, but the rest is not really taken care of. So it ends up in a, in a furnace somewhere. Um, and that's a lot of it's a lot of value that he has threw away. So it's it's an economy that that takes care of materials in a different way, and then reduces the extraction from the earth. Uh, we don't need as much virgin materials as before. Then you have to design things in a way that they are easy to dismantle um, and to use again, and to renovate or like the Americans say, remanufacture. Uh, then you also have to design it so that the life of the product is longer. And my most favorite idea or concept would be to turn many, the ownership of many products into leasing and hiring. You don't have to own what you, what you use. You, 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 can, you can lease it. And if I lease this instead of buying it, then it's in the interest of, in this case, uh, Apple, to design it in a way that they earn revenue as long as possible. But if they just sell it to me and then bye-bye, it's none of their business, they, they are not concerned about the longevity of, of the product. And they are not concerned about whether you can take back materials or not. Here are a lot of rare earth metals and we can't just continue to throw them away because they are they are rare mm -hmm. so so we have to find a way to retrieve them and to put them back into use and maybe we should also say that the anders now showing in their my video take that it's a mobile phone he has it in hand because this is a podcast with audio so oh, they yeah. don't see it but no, no. Um, but now they know that uh, you talked about the mobile phone seems to be a lot of problem and but can you give us any good example that you can be a winner in this development well you have some good examples i mean uh, rank xerox for instance they stopped selling copying machines they they lease uh, copy machines they earn more revenue by doing it this way and uh, this also means that uh, the client, the consumer, as soon as there is a problem, you can just phone them and, and, and they come and help you. Uh, another example is uh, Michelin, the, the tire uh, producer. They don't sell tires to large trucks any longer. They offer them for lease and then they charge every kilometer, uh, which of course is a much better system because Michelin is responsible for the tire and when the tire is worn out, they take it back and they put it into production again. Rolls-Royce, they uh, lease their uh, engines uh, for um, aircraft, for instance. 
IKEA has recently started to take back furniture that they sold, and the idea is to renovate them and sell them again. They have also started a hire service, so you can hire stuff instead of buying it. So, I mean, this is happening, uh, but it's quite slow. And I think the policymakers have to give it a push. Otherwise, this, this will not really happen the way, the way it should. When you say policymakers, is it any specific countries that are in the front of the development? I would say the European Union is uh, a leader. Um, and it's very much thanks to Janusz Potocznik, who was the environment commissioner before. He launched this uh, circular economy package already in 2014. The next commission under Juncker took it back and said, we don't need this. And, and then they were forced to, to, pub, to, to produce it or to offer it again or to uh, present it again. And now this new commission under von der Leyen, they are very proactive. So I think a lot is going to happen in Europe. And I think that's good because it's difficult for one single country to do this because it's a global, global economy. Among the countries, I would say Finland in, in the lead. Uh, the Netherlands is quite advanced. I would say also that France in some regions are quite, quite proactive. Uh, the US lagging very, very much behind, unfortunately. China has a strategy for a circular economy. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's happening, but it's too slow. And uh, any cities that can play a role in this? Well, as a matter of fact, I, I wrote the report for OECD on the role of cities a few years ago, and, and they can do a lot because 60-70%, uh, for instance, of all the carbon emissions are generated in cities. And they use a lot of energy materials. So, of course, they can do a lot. And they can offer a lot of services for, for consumers and for producers to, to enable them to be more circular and to help them. But I do think that governments are in a key position because as I said, the cost structure of the economy is nothing that the city can do much about. And design issues, they have to be legislated. And, and I think we will see this year some kind of directive at the European level where it, it simply says products put on the European market have to be easy to reuse and recycle. And you, just to have that kind of principle is going to change a lot. But we don't have it today. So it's, it's something that, that I hope will come. often coming back to the word governance and leadership and system thinking. What do you mean by that in this particular case of circular economy? Well, you have to have a horizontal look when you deal with this, because it's, it's not something that you can solve vertically with a single solution or single new technology. Uh, for instance, if you look at mobility in a city, I mean, some, some policymakers and some people in business obviously think that the, the trick now is to replace combustion engines with electric vehicles. And if we only do that, we are going to be in more or less the same problematic because we will use too much materials. So the, the, the smart thing is to offer mobility as a service, to develop public transport in a much better way so that each and every household do not have to own a vehicle. 
I mean, I own a vehicle. It stands still 95, 96% of the time. Uh, just imagine what inefficient use of this vehicle and all the resources that make it. So, I mean, you have to look at so many aspects to make this happen. And that's why a systems approach is needed. And that's why it's not only a question for the environment ministry, it's a question for the industry ministry. It's a question for the finance ministry. It's a question for agriculture, forestry. Every part of a government has to be involved. Otherwise, this will not happen. So, and, and unfortunately, we are, we are not organized that way. We are organized in silos. That's the problem. So we have a structure problem here uh, in the decision making. Absolutely. And that structure problem we have in almost every possible problem area. Even if you look at health, you have a problem because it's we spend most of the money in the health sector on curing and remedying uh, illness. But how much do we spend on prevention? And prevention is not something for the hospital. Prevention is something outside the hospital. So, I mean, it's, there are so many areas where we need to do things differently. But how do we change? Well, um, I think we need new political parties that understand this. And I think many young people understand what's, what, what the challenge is. Uh, but to today's traditional parties, they are stuck in the industrial society logic. And it worked quite well for, uh, for a long period of time. But now the economy is so large and the number of people is so large that we cannot continue with this linear thinking. We have to be more systemic. Mm -hmm. But don't expect uh, yours and my generation to, to be the front runners here. Must, must be younger people, unfortunately. Let us go into another dilemma or challenge that I could see uh, discussing in the media of today. It's when we talk about the circular economy and the green, clean tech development, you, you need batteries for the electrical vehicles and uh, you need other new products under the green tech brands. It's also demands of new mining and sources. Can the circular economy solve this dilemma? Well, I mean, unless we become circular in the sense of reusing and recycling and uh, extending product life. Uh, I don't think we, we, we will make it. It's only if we combine electrification with a different use of materials and not least with, with regard to batteries. There we need to put up a, a system of uh, recycling and reusing the batteries. And we, it's, not, it's not there today but it, it, it has to be there. Um, and um, I, I think given the right incentives from the political system, this is going to happen because people are, are I mean, business people are clever. They see that unless we do something of this nature, uh, it, the, the whole system will, will collapse. So, so yeah, I've, I think it will happen, uh, but uh, we, are, we are late in the process. We are very late in the process. Any development in Sweden? As well, we have a few. Producer? We have a few um, big companies. We have Northvolt in Skellefteå, which is in the northern part of Sweden. We have also two big, uh, one very old and, and established steel company, SSAB, who is trying to produce 
what they call green steel, where you have no carbon emissions in the steel production. That's commendable. And you have another company that's just been, been launched that is going to do the same. So I think Sweden, both with regard to batteries and green steel making, will be in the forefront. But you know, Sweden is not the problem. We produce 5 million tons of steel per year. The total amount of production in the world is about 1,600 million tons of steel. Uh, and 800 million tons of that is in China. So unless chi the Chinese do the same, we are not going to solve the problem. So here we need a lot of cooperation. And I think that's, that's very important to stress because business is always about competition. But unless we cooperate and work together in, this, in these fields, uh, it's, it's not, it's not going to be a, a success. Mm. Uh, let's go back to, we talked, you named it, we need new type of political parties to succeed, uh, to meet the demands and challenges we have in the society. And you have been active in politics for many years and, and also in different parties. Mm. And what do you see, how could the political party parties change and to meet this circular economy development? Well, I think most political parties today, when you talk to them, they are in favor of circularity because they, they have understood that we threw away a lot of money by, by continuing with the linear production model. We did this, I was chairing the uh, Swedish Recycling Industry Association a few years ago. We did a study with material economics and we showed that not only is the system linear, it also leads to a lot of money as thrown away. Because once you have, after first you cycle, a lot of the stuff that we throw away has a value. And it's, it's, it's interesting to try to capture that value. And as a co-benefit, you get lower emissions, et cetera. So, so I think most policymakers understand it, but then they need to also, change the economy uh, and you know that's that's a tall order because you need to to address market failures the big way um, and um, well the center right is very skeptical to interfering in the economy uh, and the center left has more or, more or less bought the neoliberal paradigm as well so i think we need a shift in thinking and, and I think we have some industrial leaders. I mean, we had Milton Friedman as a hero for many years. Now we have Paul Polman. And Paul Polman, he tells us business has to have a purpose, a societal purpose. It's not only about earning revenue for the shareholders. And I think that's a very, very important step in the right direction. So, so I think we need to, to redefine the role of business, to re redefine market economy. Market economy is good at certain things, but it's very bad at other things. And um, again, I think young people will make this happen. I think mm. the generation that's now in charge is, is not, is not uh, I, I, I'm not very hopeful. So there's still a problem with the political party's role. But one of the political issues that are coming back again is uh, today discussion about nuclear energy and as a sustainable source. Uh, 
you as a politician was a nuclear hawk in this field mm -hmm. in the was it in 1970s or 80s? Yeah, yeah it was in 70s, yeah. yeah. And now you are a very skeptical and critical voice. So yeah. will nuclear play a significant role as a strategy against climate change? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, I think what speaks against it is the fact that nuclear energy over the last 20 years, costs have increased uh, significantly. So to build a new reactor today costs many more times than it did 20 or 25 years ago. Other energy sources like wind and solar, you have the opposite. Costs are coming down very, very nicely. So um, I, I but, but then of course you have the problem with intermittent uh, energy like wind and solar that the, the, the wind doesn't blow all the time. Uh, there is not sun all the time. So you need something to balance, uh, to stabilize uh, the system. And that's still um, a big discussion point. What is going to be that stabilization? Now in Sweden, for instance, the steel companies, they, they, will, they will need a lot of electricity in the future for the, the steel making, uh, but they will use surplus wind and solar when it's cheap, when there is a lot of wind, for instance, and the, the price is very low, then they will produce hydrogen, green hydrogen that they then can use in the steel process. If some of the activities by industry is not dependent on production, power production 24 seven, this is going to be, I think, quite easy to handle. But still, of course, there, 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 is, a, there is a question mark. Um, I'm very attracted by a group in San Francisco around uh, a guy called Tony Siba. They have written several reports under the theme of Rethink X and Rethink Humanity. And they claim that uh, a system built on hydro, on solar and wind is going to be perfectly feasible for the whole world. Uh, so I think we need, we need more research, we need more studies. Um, and I wouldn't start investing in new, you know, nuclear. Uh, I wouldn't do that, but um, I know that there are other views. But uh, uh, will it take a long time to produce what they say, the new nuclear power stations? Well, on the one hand, you have the so-called third generation uh, light water reactors. Uh, that's, what, that's the only type that is available today if you want to invest in something. Then there are some experiments with so-called fourth generation where the idea is to use spent fuels as a fuel and then uh, reduce the storage of the high active waste as a problem. But we haven't seen those reactors yet. And I think it will go, it's going to take 10, 50, maybe 20 years for them to, to really become reality, if they become reality. So, so um, I, I think there are long lead times here. Uh, and we have to be conscious about that. So if you look at 10, 15 years in the front and what could happen in other areas of uh, energy production and development, where do you see the, the, the new energy uh, added sources for, for a society? Where well, I think, is it? I, I think uh, wind at sea is going to be very, very important. Uh, A, because you have less conflicts where to build it, because you have conflicts on land many times. And secondly, the wind is much stronger at sea. So you have a, 
uh, what you call it, uh, you, 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 you get power from wind at sea 65-70% of the time, whereas on land it's about 30% of the time. So, so that's, that's, that's quite significant. Then I, I think solar energy is going to explode. Um, uh, and in particular in, in the solar belts of the world. So, so I, I don't see a problem with this, uh, but it, it, it will take some time to develop. And in Sweden or in Norway and Sweden and Scandinavia, we have the advantage that we have a lot of hydro capacity. So when the wind doesn't blow and when there is no sun, well, we can use the hydro. So we can balance, balance the system very well. Then I think more, more of the power system will be distributed or decentralized. People will put solar on their roofs um, and become less dependent on the grid, which is also going to be important because that will lower uh, the demand and make it easier to, um, to uh, get enough supply during peak hours. Mm -hmm. Well, um, let's uh, go back to, to your engagement in, in the society from the beginning. What was the reason for you to go into politics? Oh, that was in the late 1960s. Well, at that time I was a student and in Sweden we had had social democrats in the government for almost 40 years. And Sweden was in a way very conformistic. The, 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 it, was, it was really one, a one-party show. And as a student, I felt um, democracy is more than that. We need, uh, we need the change of power. So, so I, I become active on the center-right. Um, and I think it, I had good reasons to do that at the time. Today, I have seen more of life. And uh, I spent many years in international work, in the Red Cross, in the UN. And I have, um, I'm leaning more towards the left. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm a, a socialist or social democrat. I don't think I fit in, into any political party. Uh, I, I'm quite an independent thinker. So, so you have to combine entrepreneurship and innovation and, and freedom uh, with the responsibility and care for, for those who, who are left behind for some reason. It's, it's really a, a question of balancing different forces against each other. And I'm, I'm very attracted by the view on the public sector that is very much the result of Mariana Mazzucato's writing. And, you know, you very often hear people that, oh, the public sector, it's a waste. We should reduce it to high taxes. But on the other hand, the public sector uh, stands for fantastic services. And it's very important when it comes to innovation and research. So I think we should look upon the public sector in a much more positive way than we have done in the past. So it's really a combination of, of different forces, but the public sector plays a very important role, not least with these global challenges, climate, ecosystem decline, new technologies that we need to manage and govern. And then of course, the, the increasing inequality in society, where a little percentage at the top earn however much money and and large sections of the population are lagging behind that's not the good society you cannot you... build trust but you were 
early into politics and then you have going through different political parties. What, what was the reason for you to change? Well, you went I, from right to the left. In that well, I, 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 well it, it, I think I, le I learned the lesson during life and I saw that um, um, the neoliberal in particular idea that uh, the, the most important thing is freedom, low taxes, entrepreneurship, and shareholder value. You cannot build a society on such a narrow uh, uh, philosophy. Society mean is, is much more complicated. And uh, I learned a lot during my years in the Red Cross, a lot. And you have to, you know, I, I think it's, it's somewhat of a, not mystery, but it's a drama that although we overuse energy and materials, like we talked about, as we speak, there are still 4 billion people on this planet who live in poverty and misery. 4 billion people. Hmm. Don't we have a responsibility to them? Of course we have. And if we continue, we in the rich part of the world, if we continue to use energy and resources that we have in the past, we leave less and less and less room for all those billions who are, are still poor. So we have to reduce our material consumption and consume in a much more intelligent and smart way. The footprint of a Swede is 27 tons of materials per year. The footprint of somebody living in Southern Africa is around two tons. It's almost a factor 15. I mean, it's absurd. We have to rethink the way we do things and circularity is one of those recipes. Uh, and then we have to help people in the poor parts of the world to increase their land standard of living in a smart way. Well, my last question to you, Anders, I would like you to reflecting on your long commitment, I will say, in the society as a change maker and a transformer. If you're looking back and into the future, can you give the young generation three wisdom advice in front of the future when we are looking into the society challenge? Well, the first thing would be, don't be so short-term. We have a political and an economic system that is very short-term in nature. You have quarterly reports for companies. Uh, the stock market reacts uh, very, very quickly to whatever happens. It's, it's not a good system. It's not a sound system. And we have a tendency to overlook what's happening in the longer term because we, we want instant gratification. We want everything to happen now. So I, I would hope the younger generation understands this dilemma between the short term and the long term. That to me is probably the most important thing. Secondly, is that society and life is larger than me. And we have, we have a responsibility to not only think about ourselves and to e be egomaniacs, we have a responsibility to think about the whole, uh, because otherwise the whole society, the rest of, of the humans are, are not going to, to do well. Um, so um, that, that to me is also very, very important. And, and the third thing I would say uh, is to understand that you can make a difference. You can make a difference because I meet a lot of young people who are, who has always almost given up hope. 
but change is possible. And that to me uh, is, is the most important. And I've seen a lot of change in my own life. I've started projects that later on resulted in change at the, at the larger scale. So, so I, I think that's, that's very important. Thank you very much, Anders, for this talk today and uh, hope to meet you as a transformer even the coming time of, of the years. Thanks a lot. It was, was a pleasure. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening.